want to continue some thoughts on um, what we talked about last week, purpose and meaning in life, and uh, the story of our lives and the character in our lives. And um, we highlighted the idea that uh, each of our lives are a story. And uh, each of our lives have a purpose and a meaning in that story. And that uh, typically there are four characters in that story, the first of which is a victim, the second is a villain, the third is a victor, and the fourth is a voice. So to whatever extent each of us have been a victim, this can pop up one afternoon or it can be a mainstay of a person's life that they have truly been a victim or they have been victimized and have a victim mentality. A victim mentality needs to be eradicated. It needs to be adjusted in the story of our lives. The purpose for which we live will help rid ourselves of a victim mentality. A victim takes very little responsibility for themselves. Oftentimes will blame others and if not tended to, those with a victim mentality will become villains. That is to say, they will make sure they are elevated by putting others down. Could be in a passive aggressive way, could be in an overt, direct way. But if a victim mentality isn't, if someone's not set free from that, and that just prolongs and becomes a mainstay in a person's life, and they become villainous towards life, towards God, towards others, it has really bad consequences. It keeps us from being the victor in our own lives. And it keeps us from hearing the voice, not only of God, but somebody that God puts beside us to help us in the story of our life. Now, not all of us are ready to launch out with a plot for the entire story of our life, but then again, many of us need to understand that perhaps right now, God's writing a chapter in your life, a smaller seasonal thing going on, and we need to understand what that is. I wanna to talk to you again about purpose and about meaning. The verse for today, we prayed over Carla just a moment ago, Proverbs 19 and 21. Many are the plans of a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Let me draw the distinction here. Anybody can have a plan. In fact, many of us have plans. Shoot, this time of year, we all make plans. We call them resolutions. But having a plan doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to prevail. It doesn't mean that it's gonna to come to pass. The Lord now has a purpose. If our plan and his purpose can be one and the same, then that will prevail. That will actually manifest itself in our life. That will become visible, appreciable, measurable, repeatable, all of those things. When God's purpose prevails and it matches up with our plan, we become very dangerous people. We become ambassadors, agents of God's purpose. And this makes our life even more meaningful than it is now. What is the purpose and meaning of this chapter of your life or the story of your life? I wanna tell you a little story. Christmas morning, I opened a present for my wife and uh, mixed in with 
some things was a piece of paper. And on that piece of paper um, was the awareness that this gift that she was giving had to do with going to New York City, seeing an off-Broadway show, and maybe even coming back. The idea, that was up in the air. So we were gonna go to New York City, which we did this past few days. She was good on the gift. And if you don't know my wife, she is a planner and a plotter and a detailed person. And, and she always knows, seems to know where to go. She researches. So there's, no, there's no doubt that the trip's going to be uh, exactly what she had planned it to be. And it's going to be good. So off we go. From the Asheville airport, no less which is now surrounded by hotels and is in the process of growing, and uh, it's great. So off we go, we get on the plane and we land in Newark, on purpose even, we went to Newark. And then we made our way to New York City. Now, we've traveled a bit, we understand. We understand that if you go to the UK and get on a tourist bus and drive through a village at 50 miles an hour, uh, it's not, you can't say that you've been to that village. It doesn't count. To be to that village, you have to experience the sights, the sounds, fragrances, the people, the food, and the hospitality, and the culture in that village. So we don't just breeze our way through a place. We seek to experience the culture that we are visiting. So off we go to New York. Each of us have been to New York, but now we're there together. We've been talking about this for a while. So we stay on Times Square. Wow, what a stimulation overload that is. We stay at Times Square and we're off now to the restaurant that she's picked. Now I am no dummy. I know this place is gonna be jam now, this restaurant is 10 feet wide. That's right, 10 feet. You could put 30 people in there. There's 700 billion people who live in New York, and there's 700 restaurants, so you do the math. They're all small. And we get into this restaurant, and uh, I'm told that uh, her research shows her that uh, somebody we know, a mutual friend in social media, has highly recommended this place, and uh, we order. Now... At the appetizer, listen, you got my attention. We're, we're not in Kansas anymore. It's appetizer, the burrata. Yes, nice. Okay, good indication. We get to the beet salad with the uh, shrimp. Every bite is an experience. I am thinking to myself, this could be too early to say, too early in the game. It's only like the second inning. Too early to say, but this could, be, this could be a big one. This could be one of the meals that we talk about in our marriage that we remember forever. There are a few at this point. In 32 years, there's only a few, but this has the makings of one. And then we get to the main course. Oh, Lord. This was a meal, man. This was a meal. Here I am at the Marshall restaurant at 10th and 45th. I've been here 
40 minutes. And it's one of those places where the next person next to you is six inches away. You need little to no peripheral vision to see what they're ordering and what they're saying and what their life's all about. But I know that this meal is off the ever-loving charts. I've never had a meal like this. Now I'm thinking back, this is in the top five, easy. And most of my wife's cooking is in the top four. So I'm like, man, this is awesome. And I'm, I'm at that place where you really, at this point, really don't care what it costs. You're past that. You've drank the Kool-Aid, you're here to order whatever you wanna order, and you're just gonna enjoy it. Somebody said s'mores, somebody said baked in a, <laughs> in a brick oven, and that dessert came out, and it was like, done, we're back, I'm coming back. I even thought about commuting from Asheville to come back to this place to eat. The chef's walking around talking to people and I'm like, wow, man, the food here is good. So the next day we go to Sarge's Deli. Had to walk a long way to get there. We're down by the Empire State Building. We're at 3rd and 37th. We walk into this deli and I got, this has got five inches between tables and I'm looking, I look at the guy next to me and he's got this thing on his plates about the size of a basketball. And I'm like, I think that's a Reuben, I'm not really sure. We order food and my wife had a pastrami sandwich that she split with me and I had that and I go, this is from a different place. This is from a different culture. What is this? We're eating. This is the second time we've eaten in New York and I'm like, we're moving. Now, each one of the sandwiches were $35. Just put that aside for a second. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, man, these people eat like this all the time. And it went on and on and on. We went back to the Marshall and finally we came home. And then it dawned on me. We come out of the Asheville airport. I can go right to Brevard or left to Arden. And it dawned on me. Oh my gosh, we haven't eaten all day. I'm starving and I have to bring up this question. We go left, we have Ruby Tuesdays, Olive Garden, places we've eaten at a million times, or Culver's. She knew I was gonna say it, I knew I was gonna say it. There's no point competing. I just looked at her. I knew Brevard had nothing to offer us. So I said, what do you want to get, a butter burger? And she goes, yeah. <laughs> so off to Culver's we go, and we have a butter burger or whatever they serve over there. And I thought to myself, wow, what a disparity in quality. What a disparity in a cuisine experience. What the, the offerings of Arden and the whole town of Asheville don't compare to Sarge's Deli on a good day. And I thought to myself, wow, the disparity. And I go, what is this about? I'm not, I'm not worshiping food, I'm worshiping quality. I'm worshiping freshness. I'm worshiping create, creativity with food. I'm worshiping the difference. The owner, of the chef of the restaurant comes over on our second trip. I go, I'm gonna try to explain this to you. Which, for which I think he had no idea what I was talking about. I said, I have people that come to my church and some come 
And the whole time they're there, they're sitting in a sanctuary. And it's a beautiful one too. Others come and they dine and they take sanctuary. Some come and sit, others come and experience. He looked at me like he semi knew what I was talking about, but I knew he didn't. That guy offered us an experience, a milestone in our marriage, a memory marker. And I'm not kidding, it was that good. So I I get to thinking about it. What is a mindset? What is a mentality? Mindsets and mentalities are very, very powerful things. And once they're established, once they're set up like concrete, once they're so prevalent and they're unchangeable, it's dangerous. If we have a mentality or if we have a mindset of our Lord, of church, of worship, of discipleship, of all of that, that's rigid, unchangeable, solidified, and less than the common denominator, less than average, if it's tepid, if it's unappetizing, if it's average, we've come to accept it as a, as a way of being, as a way of expecting, of, of a mentality, just like a victim solidifies a mentality, not of who I can be, but this is who I am, or worse yet, this is who I'm not. Once that mentality sets up and becomes a strong concrete footer, we tend not to expect anything beyond it. Now, what is it about CBC? I don't know what I don't know what it is about CBC. I don't know if it's good or bad. Here's my intent. My intent when I'm up here, speaking to people who come from all over the southeast, some churchgoers, some not, some been walking with the Lord for 50 years, some not even for 50 minutes, others are, are 50. 50 years behind where they should be with the Lord. Some are mature, some are immature. Some float in for a weekend, uh, like a New York restaurant. Others come for a a summer. They, They pop in, they pop out, they come, they go. What's important? It's important that somebody does whatever they possibly can to bust that mentality up so there's room for it to morph into something beyond it. A calling in your life is really a higher calling than you understand it to be. It's a tastier calling, it's a spicier calling. There's a deeper resolve, there's a deeper passion, there's a deeper longing, there's a deeper hunger for the word of God. If your word, your walk, your calling, your purpose is, is, uh, is nothing more than Ruby Tuesdays, and you haven't yet bit into the spiritual pastrami of Sarge's Deli, and, and, the, and the, 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 just the, the taste of it, and you realize this is different. This is not the same. We're not in the same planet. We're not in the same world. There has to be something about your calling that breaks the mold of acceptance of that which is tepid, usual, common, ordinary, franchised. Is your spiritual walk franchised into a just duplicated 
mass duplicate it wherever you go and that's what you have, that's your faith, that's how much you lean on him, that's how much you trust him, that's how desperate you are for him, that's how hungry you are for him, that's how impatient you are for the things of God. Have you no more appetite for the truth than to just casually let a book sit around the house or in the back of your SUV, yank it out every once in a while and just enjoy the fact that you're a Christian? There has to be something more than the average. It should be an experience, it should be an adventure, it should be an encounter. The purpose of your life is not to take anything usual and share it with a world that needs something so unusual it's not funny. When the world knows more about Christianity than the Christian, when Christianity has become a class an academic class that doesn't prevail or manifest itself in everyday life with people who need something more than we had to give them community bible church cannot at any Time become the Olive Garden. As, as great as the Olive Garden may be, there isn't a person that walks into that place that doesn't know exactly what's going to happen, what it's going to taste like, what it's going to cost, and the feeling of longing you're going to have when you leave. Really. If you're satisfied with a spiritual olive garden, you haven't been to an olive garden like Gethsemane. I've taken, my wife and I have taken more than 100 people to that garden where we've knelt, bowed, worshiped, place that millions would love to go that we had the privilege of going to multiple times to encounter Christ, the power of the Spirit. When people come to this place, they ought to taste something they haven't tasted elsewhere. We ought to offer something on the menu they've never ordered before. We ought to be memorable when they leave here. They knew that they somehow encountered the spirit of the living God and didn't care what it cost. They're gonna come back. That's purpose. That's a purpose that prevails. Churches are a dime a dozen who have a vision of what they're trying to do and they, it all rhymes and flows and it sits well in the pew on the card and whatever. I want someone, by the time they get to their car, they haven't said anything yet. I walked out of a Vietnam movie the day before I had to sign up for selective service. Big mistake, huge mistake. I walked out of that movie trembling 
knowing that the next day I had to sign up and give my information to the government to draft me if ever needed. Oh man, I, I wish I had never seen that movie. I want people to leave this church, leave an encounter with you, with a puzzling, um, wow, I don't even know what that was. What was that? Who was that? Speaking of the Lord, what, did you hear what was said? No, I heard something else. And you get to your car and go, that was not the Olive Garden, nor was it Ruby Tuesdays. That was not in any way, shape, or form a butter burger. You should go home during the week and you should feel it. I feel this all the time. You should feel it. It's, it starts sort of down in here and it just kind of like gets added to, I can't explain it. And then you, you realize, I'm hungry for the word. I'm hungry. I just want to go home and I just want to sit in a room and I just want to read something. That should be normal. You know how sometimes you have a craving for certain foods? I've come to learn that the craving for certain foods tends to match up with the physiology of your body and what your body really needs. Your body needs something in that food you're craving, unless it's sugar. My wife had some cravings when, when she was carrying our children, and I thought, dear God in heaven, I don't know if I can find another red pepper in this county. I'm gonna have to go outside the city of Atlanta. There's something in what we crave that we come to find out we need physically. I don't know. If you ever got a deficiency, maybe you crave kale every once in a while. I don't know. It's none of my business, really. But what I'm telling you is there ought to be something in your makeup spiritually where you go, I, I don't know that I really want to go much more of the day without, without getting in the Word. Not because you have to. Not because you said you would. Not because you're on the Bible reading program. But because you're hungry. If that's something you've never experienced before, let me tell you something. I'm gonna be bold and say this. There's something wrong with that. There, there ought to be times when you go, I just could go for a good piece of bread, life-giving, infinite bread, where you break it and you give it to somebody and it just multiplies. I need some bread. Maybe... If you, if, you, if you don't have that hunger for the word, maybe, just maybe, have someone you don't feel the hunger and develop and acquire a taste for it at a certain time of day. You'll find yourself longing for it. Some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy, like some sort of religious nut. Well, maybe, who knows? I don't know, maybe I am. But I'd much rather be a nut about it then it never crossed my mind. I don't want dullness. 
I got no place for it in my life. I didn't come to Christ till I was 25. I missed 20, 20 years. I went to New York for the second time, but it's the first time I ever remember any part of the trip. The first part of the trip, I was so anesthetized, I didn't even see a building nor recollect it, let alone have a meal. I'm, I'm looking for, making up for lost time. I, I wanna be insatiably hungry for the scripture. I wanna eat like I ate there. I wanna eat that here in a spiritual sense. You see, we unknowingly, this is the important thing, we unknowingly develop mindsets and mentalities that we rarely deviate above or below. We, we, we make for ourselves a comfortable mentality in which we can operate. That's where our thoughts hang out. That's where our expectations never really go beyond. That's where we just kind of exist. Well, that mentality uh, oftentimes is because we conform to the pattern of this world and our mind's not renewed with the mind of Christ. There's a, there's a, there's a, we even have a mentality and an expectation of worship. We have limits. We put it on there. We don't know what they are, but we know when we exceed them. We know when we're comfortable with worshiping the Lord for a few minutes, maybe, on a Sunday. That ought to get us to, that's a 10-day thing, isn't it? That ought to get me 10-day. We have measurements in our minds, unknowingly, of a mindset of what it means to be a worshiper, and we, we tend not to exceed it, and we tend not to operate below it. We measure it. It's not, it's not measured by the one we're worshiping and the due that he has of us worshiping and celebrating him. It's measured by the, the frequency of our engaging in worship, and it's built on statistics and data, if you really want to be honest with it. Bring me back to the heart of worship. See, that heart of worship lyric is only as good as the paradigm in which we expect that to actually happen in our mentality and in our mindset. Could you imagine if you had a victim mentality, how little you would go beyond it or beneath it? How actually tepid and ineffective your life would be? not fulfilling the purposes of God, which are extraordinary, even beyond what we could imagine. Our mindsets and our mentalities are so imaginable. <laughs> They're so predictable, so imaginable, and God wants us to bust out of that. But we cope, and this is the way we, we this is what sinners do, we cope we find a mechanism which to cope and be happy with where we are in the situation we're in. I'll explain it to myself. I'll justify it. This is why I don't do this. This is why I don't do that. Or we'll label ourselves. This really irritates me. But I'm a chosen frozen. Frozen chosen. And you're somehow proud of that? That somehow is a good thing? I, I don't understand. Why would you even say that? Why would you be proud of that? I don't want any Christian in this church saying they're frozen. I want them to be piping red hot for the gospel. 
I want them to be warm, friendly, amiable. I want them to walk and talk with people, counsel with people, love people, embrace them, be approachable, be friendly, be a brother, be a sister, be hot for the gospel. We develop these things. They're settled, seemingly settled in us. They're seemingly settled. And, and if, we, if they're not settled enough, we can settle them by going to a denomination with people just like us that will formalize and justify our tepid nature spiritually. We'll surround ourselves with people who feel the same way and do the same things or don't do anything and we'll feel good about it because we're part of a body that does nothing. I kind of like being a non-denominational church. No one really knows what to expect. You could, do, you could outflank them. You could run them off. Settled and measured mindsets. Your marriage has a mindset. Your friendships have a mindset. Your golf game, now I'm gonna get your attention. Your golf game has a mentality and a mindset. You think you're better than you actually are and you're actually worse than you ever thought you could be and that's why you have a handicap and the handicap makes you feel good about it. Beware of mindsets and mentalities unless they're good ones. Concern yourself with things like depth, passion. Now, passion doesn't mean you need to be a loudmouth like me. Maybe you show passion in a totally different way. It doesn't matter how you show it. The fact is it's there. It's part of the ingredients of the meal that you serve this world. You're passionate. Listen, if you have passion, you don't need as much self-discipline. Everyone's trying to gain self-discipline without passion. It doesn't work. You want self-discipline? Get passionate about something. You won't need self-discipline. There's your motivation right there. Beware of spiritual governors on your spiritual speedometers. Ask yourself this question. If there, were, if there was a governor on my spiritual speedometer, what's the fastest I could go? That's a dangerous question. Don't answer that. Mindsets and mind mentalities. The weakest person in a story is the victor. The true victor, the true hero in the story, the main protagonist is the weakest. Not the victim and not the villain. The protagonist, why? Because he or she has already been the victim and the victim keeps calling he or she back to feeling sorry for themselves or it's not gonna work out. And the villain keeps saying, you're not as good as you think you are and you're biting off more than you can chew, or this is gonna be very embarrassing. You're not quite qualified for all of that. Come sit on the sofa with us, and let's just pontificate on how much we can't do with our life. 
We'll blame others for the fact that it's not yet our time for it, and we'll get as entitled as we possibly can. In fact, we'll try to get generation after generation after generation of people entitled, thinking they can't do anything. I'm starting to realize that there are generations of people walking the face of this plateau that don't know how to pick up and handle a shovel. Let me put it in a different way. When people, most of the people in this room wanted information when coming up, they had to get up, go over to the encyclopedia that your parents bought, look it up, maybe get an almanac out, then ask your parents if they had a library card. You had to get in their station wagon facing backwards, go to the library, look through a Dewey Decibel system, find some sort of catalog, some area of the library, ask someone for help in a small library voice if necessary, and leave the library with six or seven hardback books with plastic around them, each in a pouch in them that has your name on it, and they're due back in 30 days. That's how you got information. You people can pick up a shovel and know how to use it. Today, you Google it. And all the effort and all the pursuit of knowledge has been eradicated and it's instantaneously there for you as you sit on the sofa or as you stop at a stoplight and get the information you need. And it's turned the pursuit of God into a Google search. Forgoing the emotion, the passion, his anger, his jealousy, his distance, his, his blessing, his gratitude, these things that are personable and friendly and relative and, and there and real and manifested. His purpose prevails in your life when you seek him and you seek him with all your heart. And we've turned him into a topic that for the most part, you can get the knowledge you need of him in less than a second, depending on whether your internet is, is 5G or 4G. The mindset and the mentalities that we have cannot limit us nor define us anymore. We have to feel more often we have to feel uncomfortable. We have to feel awkward. We have to feel out of place. Because we, we should be uncomfortable in a world of comfort and convenience. We should feel out of place when you have the answer to the meaning of life and no one else does. We should feel fear and trepidation at times. We should feel outnumbered because we are. And we've, we've negated all of these realities because... Our mentality says, be comfortable, be convenient, take it easy. And we unknowingly develop a mentality and a mindset that has already conformed itself to the world, if we're not careful. And a little bit of victim lingers and a little bit of villain. And we may be the victor in our own story, but we're not 
as victorious as perhaps we would have been. And it's becoming more and more difficult for a voice to speak into our life, let alone the voice of God. This is interesting. The victim says, the mentality says, I was wronged, I did wrong, I am wrong. The victim is defined by what has happened to them and around them. The villain, I'm not happy about me, so I darn sure I'm not gonna be happy about you. If I can bring you down, I become a little more tolerable. And the victor has somehow replaced the old mentality, has somehow put to rest the old man and the old woman, and is now a new creature who can be weak, but can do all things through Christ who strengthens them and has beside them a voice. See, the thing about being a voice now, nowadays is if you want to mentor somebody, or you want to help somebody, you want to be a source of wisdom in somebody's life, you, you first of all have to figure out where's this person, where is this person? Where are they? Where are they trying to go or where would the Lord have them to go? And how do I help them even formulate somewhat of a purpose, though, though it be temporary, or for a season, maybe it's not for the rest of their life, how do we inform an intentional purpose for which to have, have them engage in a process? That's what we're in need of more and more in this world. Each of us have a purpose and a meaning in our life, in our totality of our life, but each of us have a meaning and a purpose right now in this season of our life. Let's call it a chapter. I have couples that I've dealt with over the years and um, thank God there's not a whole lot of them, but there, there's plenty where there's been infidelity. And um, it's a major crisis. And you're, you're sitting in the office and it's everything and I mean everything, is hanging by a thread. And my number one purpose and goal for that family that's about to fall off a cliff is to get them to Christmas, get them to January, get them to the 4th of July, to make some sort of commitment that no matter what, nobody's doing anything until we put about six months in between us and this horrific crisis we're sitting in. So we can think more clearly, so we can make better decisions. So let's make decisions now that will allow us six months from now to look back and make more meaningful decisions with a different mentality, with a different heart, with a different everything. is so important. Where are you in this story of your life? Where are you in the storyline? Who, who needs help to get to the next chapter? You may only need help for a chapter. You may need help for two or three chapters. That's all you need. Someone else can pick it up from there. 
but your life has great meaning and has great purpose. What internal dialogue takes place in your life? You probably are listening to yourself more than anyone else in your life. What is that dialogue saying about you, about your past, your present, and your future? And what in your dialogue is coming between you and the one who gave you the ability to speak to yourself? Where is he in the process? Next week, I want to attempt, <laughs> it's not easy, I want to attempt to show you how to formulate a purpose and a meaning. And I actually continue it in the story of your life and show you how to continue it so it doesn't fade. That's all that I'm going to attempt to do. The Lord can help me. But enough for today. Ask yourself these two questions. Have I a mentality or a mindset about life and my life giver that is limiting, restrictive, less than what it could be? Frame yourself in that place. Come back next week. See if we can't further clarify not who you are only, but who God is in relationship to you as it pertains to what's happening right now in the story of your life and how actively should you be pursuing that? There was a season when I was highly satisfied with the Olive Garden, Ruby Tuesdays, Chili's and Fridays. In a spiritual sense, you can't keep that diet up and grow spiritually. There was a time when we were all infants in Christ and we were, we were nursed. Most people think that when you nurse, the first thing you do is, is you, you get milk from your mother. Not true. You get what God ordained us to get colostrum. God gives us first the things that ward off infection that we need the most. Then he nourishes us. Then he helps us to grow. Some of us came to Christ. We're never really fed adequately. And some of us were infected by the things of this world we have yet to shed. And it's, it's keeping us from growing in the faith and we remain immature. But it's exciting when you see the possibilities. When you see that you can go beyond where you're at. You can enjoy the process. And your value as a man, as a husband, as a friend, your value as a wife, as a confidant, as a counselor, as a voice in someone's life, has so much more intentionality and meaning and it places you at such a higher level of need in the kingdom of God. That's exciting. That's really, really exciting.
Ponder these things in your heart, as Mary did, as you listen to the words of this song.